Oh, here he is. I'm here. I'm here. Congratulations. I'm sorry. I'm like, I'm, I oh, was... No worries. Your, your mic is not oh. right either. No, my, my mic is not even close to me. There we go. Is my mic... <laughs> Is my mic better now? There we go. My bike. That's better. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it was over in the, in the other room basically, um, which is not the right place for it. Good morning. Good morning. Secret guest. Mm. So, so I think, I think you might recognize secret guest guest voice. And so oh. Oh, okay. the, way that, the way that we're going to play this. Oh is, no. Do I, is this an, another embarrassing is, version of 20 questions? 20 questions. Yes. Oh. You have to guess. You have to guess who the secret guest is. I, if I know the answer, I will answer. And and if the secret guest, um, if I don't know the answer, secret guest can type it in the chat. And uh, okay. yeah, so uh, welcome to welcome to food uh, safety secret guest <laughs> episode is, two. Episode two. Oh, this- I will I will give you a couple of hints. Okay. Um, secret guest is not a chef. Okay. Um, okay. Secret guest is not a debarred lawyer or or even a barred lawyer. Oh. Um, and uh, those that's the end of your hints. Um, okay, is secret guest someone that you and I both know in real life, like not in podcast life? I'm gonna say I'm gonna say no. Oh. Neither you nor I have met this person in the in the in the flesh. flesh let's yeah, say. yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, is um, this literally this is the part of the show where i look stupid and, and it makes me this don there's not much that makes me uncomfortable this whole thing is makes me oh, I, um, then now that you've shared that i want to do more of yeah this. right right of course it's great it's, it makes for great content um is secret guest someone who we have interacted with on the internet, like someone who I might know from Twitter and you might know from Twitter. That's, that is one question we collectively have interacted with them. I, you know, I, I, I'm not sure whether I've ever exchanged. Okay. So secret guesses, I would go with yes. And so I'm not, it's, yeah, it's not somebody I spend a ton of time tweeting with, but we've, I probably tweeted at them and they probably tweeted at me. Yeah. Yeah. Loose definition. Exactly. Um, okay, good, good. Um, is is a secret guest someone from the uh, food world? That's a loose. I'll say, yeah, that's. I'll, I'll say no. Oh, damn it. Um, is um does does our secret guest have their own podcast? That would be a very clear yes. Okay. Okay. Um, it, it is the um, is the secret guest podcast about um, things in is it is the is the secret guest podcast about productivity? No. <laughs> okay. Is not really. Secret, not really. But 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 sometimes it's talked about. Oh, yeah, that does, yeah, here's the thing. That narrows it down to like every podcast that we listen to. Oh, um, does our secret guest do podcasting for a living or does our secret guest have another job? Um, that's a good one. Yeah, secret guest is laughing. Um, I think secret guest gets some of their money from podcasting okay. and some from another job. Am I on, like, have I gone too far down this podcasting highway? No. Okay, no, good, no, no. good. Um, not like last time where where I, all of a sudden I was down this path and, and it was, 
Uh, yes, I, I also I don't know Secret Guest from Boy Scouts. <laughs> yeah, right. Do you know Secret? Right. Well, and um, have um, have we have we? <laughs> this is this is stupid. Have we talked about the Secret Guest podcast on our podcast? Probably it's come up. Yeah. yeah, see that it's not helpful, right? Like, because it's not like I have a list of all the, there, the like all the podcasts we've listened to and talked about. Um, does, um, does our secret guest is um, d- does our do you know if our <laughs> does our secret guest use a Mac? Yes. Definitively yeah, okay. yes. Yeah, yeah, definitively yes. Is is our secret guest on an ensemble podcast? Yes. Okay. Uh, um, and by ensemble podcast, you mean a podcast with more than one person on it? Yeah. Right? Well, I mean more, okay. more, but more than maybe more than two, more more than two people, like three people. Some is our is our secret guest on multiple podcasts? That's I I think so, but I okay. mainly know them for one. Yeah. Not a regular contributor. Yeah, yeah, to the yeah, yeah, right, right, right. Okay. Oh. Um is um oh my gosh. Oh, okay. Oh, he says he has more than one, but only one. Only one people, people know, know about. about. Okay. Oh gosh. Oh, what well, our secret guest is it, it, um uh, identifies as male. Oh shit. Yeah. So oops, yeah. I now I now I got two things I gotta fix. Nice. Yes. All right. I, yes. I did it. I did like, it. He he yes, secret guest uses he him pronouns. Yep, good. Okay. Um uh um does our does our secret guest oh yep, people know the other podcast is not nearly as yeah. popular. Yep, okay. Um does our uh does our secret guest does our secret guest have a strong interest in food safety but may not but may not know it but may not, not well okay not, not particularly uh, yeah not particularly as yeah. our as our secret guest they, they were willing to come on this podcast well yeah but so but, that's good right yeah but but who, i mean who right yeah. So secret guest writes in the chat who doesn't have a strong interest in what they put in their bodies. Ben? Exactly. Oh, exactly. see, this is the part. Um, uh, does our uh, does our secret guest have really strong feelings about the types of um, food safety choices he makes? I don't know. That's a terrible. That, I don't. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But um, let's let's just say this person is not really known for foods. Anything okay. related to food, we'll find out exactly. Right. Right. This right. This person is not really known. They're 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 they're, they're known not for bad opinion. food opinions. Oh. Okay. Does our secret guest like potatoes? Oh, Are, okay. Uh, <laughs> well, okay. So, well, well John Roderick doesn't yeah. secret guest. That's who doesn't. He's yeah. trying to rule. He's trying to rule you out as being John Roderick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, does our does our secret guest? See, now I'm just like going down a list of podcasters. Does our secret guest um, have very strong opinions about how to make um, uh, pasta sauces? Okay. Oh man. No, um, but you're getting yeah. You're getting warmer. 
uh, or that'll probably give it away. Yeah, or or making pasta in general with whether there's salt in the water. No, I don't think so. Oh gosh, I'm, see, I'm, I'm, I may not be getting warmer at all. Um, um, oh, he was God. right there. I know he was right there. Oh gosh, he did this on the with the last secret guest too. He walked right up to the edge and then he walked away. And then, yeah, and that, now I'm now, now I'm down to like. <laughs> Does our secret guest have a, you know, I don't know. Are they a sportscaster? Um, no. no. Oh, about cheese. Cheese. Mm. Um, oh, no. Oh, no. Oh. Oh, jeez. Is it? Do, um, do, does it? Does our... <laughs> I don't think they're known for their strong opinions on cheese, though. I, no, but but does our does our secret guest have a strong opinion about like quote cheese meaning cashew cheese or other fermented cheeses? I, if they if oh. they do, if they do, I don't know. We don't know. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't know, Don. Do I? Have I, I think I've. You, I feel no, like no. We're gonna we're, so. Yeah. Think less natural and, and more processed. Yeah. Um. So so let's let's review what we know. Yes. They use a Mac. Yes. They make some of their living from podcasting. I think uh, we've established they're on a three person podcast. Mm. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And I think we've established that they're not John Syracuse. So right. With right. those clues. Yes. <laughs> do they do they have um very strong um uh, recommendations about microphones? No. <laughs> oh, is is it Casey? About time. Oh. No, you're stuck with me. You are stuck with me. I'm not John. I'm not Marco. It's just a little old me. I see how it is, Ben. Just like that. All right. Well, it was great. Great show. Thanks for having me. I'll see you guys later. Uh, look, I told you how uncomfortable I am about this. I'm so sorry. I, I'm so <laughs> I was hoping that maybe strong opinions about quote cheese quote would get you to uh, down in the Velveeta category. Oh my gosh! No, it didn't. No, work. it didn't. Because I, I don't even think about Velveeta as quote cheese hey, easy, at all. Easy, uh, easy. Oh man, I'm sorry, Casey. Well, welcome to no, the show. Well, hey, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Oh, oh my gosh! This I don't know if you if you heard our other episode where Don did this to me, but it, it is I did not. No, it is literally the worst. Like I am so <laughs> bad at at twenty questions, and I am very um, I'm very conscious about trying not to embarrass people. And then of course Don and I have all these you know inside conversation jokes. So I'm asking questions that are like, no, no one would know that. There, there's no <laughs> yeah, there's no possible way. So. Well, anyway, welcome. Sorry for uh, for being uh, a, a few minutes late, and no, no, but no. I did get there. I got this. I never got to the last one, so I actually feel like I got um, that. That was pretty. That, that was. Pretty oh, good. was somebody actually counting? I wasn't even counting the no, no. But I, but I got to the end. You just gave up. I think, yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, I said, "Is it Casey?" I didn't even give up. Yeah. Like, oh no, no. I mean, I mean, yeah. with the last, the last secret guest with, with Matt Collins. Oh yeah, with the last one, I just gave up, and I was yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Um. Well. Well, this is great. So what, all right. So we, we've got secret case, Casey Liss. Um, what, why, why are you Why here? am I here? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's, now, he's been wondering that for about uh, 15 minutes now. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, no, uh, Don had asked me to come and uh, make you feel uncomfortable. And, and I was game with making pretty much anyone I like feel uncomfortable. So here I am. No, um, I do have some food safety questions if we want to go down that road, uh, which I have thought of over the last day or two. But 
really, I'm here to do whatever you two would like me to do. If you would like me to continue to ruin your show, I'm happy to do that and very good at it. Or if we can just shuck and jive for a bit, whatever your little heart desires, I am here for. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm so here. so yeah, Ben, I'm here for ben like let my Ben my my strategy is like people that I know that that are you know that are fun and interesting people i i every once in a while i just ask them if yeah. they'd like to be on the podcast and sometimes they screw up and they say yes <laughs> <laughs> well so and th this is i guess my my favorite starting point for anybody who joins our show or really people that that, that dot and i talk to in general that are not in our nerdy world of food safety because for the most part we we exist in this world of academics and food industry people and government regulators who are like constantly, um, I guess, like thinking about things that make people sick, right? Like, and, and it's, it's <laughs> in, in a, in a good way, like we're not doing it yeah, in a way yeah, that yeah, yet, yeah. but so, so when you, when, when you think about food safety, if you ever do, like if you're, if you're cooking, if you're ordering in, if you're going out to a restaurant, what are the things that worry you? Like, what, what do you like as a, as a person who's not in our, in our daily world? Yeah. You know, uh, it, that's actually going to lead to some of my questions that I have, which are basically like, should I be worried about blank? Um, but yeah, when I, when I used to go out to eat back in the before times, um, I, I often, I, I'm not like the John Syracuse of the world that's like hyper analyzing everything that's happening above, below, you know, around me and so on and so forth. And so generally speaking, as long as there's something not actively egregious, I don't think too much about it. And I, I'm nervous to come on this show because I really don't want you to convince me that that some of the terrible food choices I occasionally make, like, for example, Taco Bell, are really not a safe plan. Like, I, if you tell me, if you take my Taco Bell away from me, even though I only oh. have it, but once every worry. month or two, I will no, be no. very sad. Yeah, no, no, we, so, we, like, we love Taco Bell. Okay, uh, Yeah. And also what we really try hard to do on this show is we try to not tell people what to do. We just try to let them, you know, <laughs> this make is risky, their own... but you do. You. Well, well, yes. yeah, like, well, yeah. And, and here's, yeah. Well, and we have, we have, we have another show, which I had to explain to somebody today on the internet. We don't do guests on that show, um, even though they wanted to be a guest. Um, but it's where we just, we have to come up with an answer as to whether something is risky or not. Right. And be very definitive about it. But this show is one where we can be more open-ended and we can have discussions, but we, and I'll, I'll say too, and we've said it before on the show, but I'll say it for you is if you, a lot of people like to blame um, McDonald's or Taco Bell or whatever fast food choice for foodborne illness, because that was the last food they ate before they got sick. But when you get sick from food poisoning, it's very seldom the last food you ate. It's more likely something that you had 24 or 48 or even 72 hours before that. And so, no, in terms of food safety choices, you are much better going to a Taco Bell or a McDonald's than you are saying go to going to a fancy sit down restaurant because the the food is because it's it's you know they, they have corporate food safety people responsible for that now you know we can we can talk about chipotle i think that was they, they made some serious miscalculations but they've they've done a course correction and they now have like really good people running their food safety program so no so taco bell in terms now in terms of 
you know, is it a healthy choice? You know, that, that's, that's, that, that you have to go on a nutrition, a nutrition yes, podcast. Yes, yes, yes. That. That'll be my next stop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a different podcast altogether. Well, um, you know, the thing of it is, is I'll get a power bowl, which is like their actually, you know, food, you know, uh, food items. So, you know, you can yeah. see that there's chicken there. You can see that there's beans and rice and so on. And it's actually not terribly caloric, but the problem is I'll chase the power bowl with like a Crunchwrap Supreme, which I just can't say <laughs> no to. And that's where everything takes a turn nutritionally. Well, that's and, all right, though. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and I, I think that like building on what Don said, this is one of those misconceptions around food safety. The fact that it's such a consistent food. I mean, it doesn't matter what Taco Bell you go to; it's pretty much exactly built the yeah. same. It's they, they really be to to do that. They've engineered behavior, like people decisions out of the system as much as possible. So you know, mo most of what's there certainly is not being made at that specific Taco Bell, They'll, they're building the bowl um, from pre-portioned um, mm -hmm. um, spots. And that, you know, when, what we focus on, you know, it, what, I think what we see in outbreaks or what we see in problems in food safety almost always comes down to people decisions. And so the, the fancier the food or the more complicated the restaurant, the more complicated the system, um, the the more things that are happening in the kitchen, the more chances there are for food safety risks. And so, so like I, I would, it's, it's very easy for me to look at fast food and say, it's probably the safest, you know, type of food that's available to, uh, to consumers because it's so, it's so constructed. Um, and, and, and I mean, down to not sure about the particulars of Taco Bell, but Don mentioned McDonald's. Um, we, we've done, we've, you know, seen some of what McDonald's does and same with Chick-fil-A and Burger King, they've really tried to engineer people out of the entire process or at least people decisions so much mm -hmm. so that, that it, it, but for safety reasons, um, as well. So it's kind of this, I think it's a, it's a, a bit of a, a myth. And as soon as you step back into a kitchen from our frame of reference, it becomes really obvious like, oh, I see what they're doing here and why. And that's probably safer. Um, it's not to say that Taco Bell hasn't had um, some, you know, some outbreaks, but those outbreaks have been from the supplier side, not mm, from mm -hmm, the mm -hmm. restaurant side. And there's not like, I shouldn't say there's not much a restaurant can do about that because there are things that they can do in, in making decisions on who they buy from, but it's not up to the, con it's not in the hands of the hourly wage workers that are working at a restaurant. It's, sure. it's more of a corporate decision. Right. So it's once, funny you say that. The, oh, go ahead, go ahead. It's funny you say that because my ignorant perception is, oh, the people at Taco Bell don't care the same way that like one of the chefs at like a fancy bespoke restaurant in downtown Richmond cares. But I guess what you're saying is whether or not somebody cares isn't terribly relevant or perhaps like the fancy chef at the fancy fancy restaurant downtown cares a lot but from the context of food safety they don't care about the right thing like it, it, they, they care about the right thing from the context of delicious food but they don't care about the right thing from the context of food safety which is which is counterintuitive to my like dumb american take that oh the high school kids at taco bell they don't care of course taco bell is risky but i totally understand what you're saying that taco bell as a corporation is doing everything in their power to prevent the idiot the, the idiot high school kid that doesn't care from screwing something up 
Exactly. And and really, the in terms of risky foods at somewhere like Taco Bell, it's really like, as Ben was saying, the choice of the supplier, right? Who are, who are we buying our lettuce from and what mm-hmm. do they have in place to control that? All Taco Bell really has to do is to keep the lettuce refrigerated and then make sure that <laughs> kids, kids who are working there um, don't have foodborne disease or uh, again, or hepatitis, right. Uh, Or something like that, which could get spread. And that's all they really got to do. And then in terms of the, the chef, yeah, the chef at the fancy restaurant, they care about the quality of the food and the presentation, and they may or may not know about food safety. Like we had our our last mystery guest was a kid on kid. He's a young man now, but the age of my kids, um, (laughs) that I knew from Boy Scouts that uh, is now a chef. And now he's a, per- a personal chef. He's a professional chef. Now he's a personal chef. And he knew a ton of stuff about food safety. And he's been through the food safety training program that National Restaurant Association puts on called Serve Safe. And he knew all of the, the stuff. And, you know, and, and, but again, you know, it's, it's and different, chef, but different chefs maybe don't have that training or don't or like well yeah the 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 government wants me to cook it to 165 but it's okay because i i it's artisanal (laughs) and i ground it myself you know right 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 right. yeah i think there's much more variability right like if we think about um our our community um we have this this conference every year um the international association for food protection and it's you know, 3,000, 4,000 people from across the world get together and they talk about the most up-to-date science and food safety. And it's, it's a nerd fest, um, <laughs> all, like all around. Um, but, but it, it you know, th- there are independent restaurant operators that go to that, right? Like they, mm-hmm. they, it, it's, it's a, you know, the, the people, certainly the people who run food safety for Taco Bell there are there and they're trying to think, you know, what do we have to look at within our system? What is the science telling us today that wasn't here last year? And so it's about resources and and just, you know, the, the way that the, that the food systems build. I would say that, you know, we, we've certainly, I've interacted with a lot of chefs here in Raleigh who do, who really think about food safety, but I've also interacted with a handful who like Don said, are like, you know what, I'm more interested in putting together the, you know, the most interesting type of dish and food safety will come second. And that, you know, a place like, like Taco Bell or a corporate restaurant doesn't, can't really afford to do that. Or at least they have the, they have the risk, business risk that's much higher. And they also have the resources behind to, to manage it. Yeah. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. But if you think about it, Ben, like you're a food safety professional, the, the circle of chefs that are going to interact with you are going to self-select for chefs, I think that care about food safety. Right. And so, you know what, right. Because it's not, it's not, you're not just like randomly like (laughs) phoning up chefs or walking into their restaurants (laughs) and having a chat with them. Right. I mean, or maybe you are, I don't know, but. Well, I am, but mainly to order uh, takeout. (laughs) We we don't often uh, talk about their uh, serve safe scores. Uh, or anything like, or their uh, restaurant inspection scores. But, oh, but but now, but this is in this case, you might find this interesting. But what Ben has done through his research program is like secret shopper stuff, where he where he oh, sent awesome. undercover graduate students in, into restaurants to ask questions about the burgers and yeah. how they're mm-hmm. cooked. <laughs> yeah, well, what, and and I, this was kind of what it, you know. It, it actually gets to the um, 
you know, to the topic that that we were talking about here, because it was very much about understanding if just a regular person walked into a restaurant and ordered an undercooked hamburger. And I'll put that into into air quotes because mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. it's a um, there, there's a a federal food code recommendation about temperatures for for hamburgers. And but um, a restaurant can serve really any temperature of ground beef or meat that they want, as long as a, a customer orders it, if they tell them that there's a risk associated with that, with that meal, which is a really, I don't know, like philosophically interesting thing, right? It, it puts the, the risk decision in the hands of a consumer, which I'm all about, but it also leans on a restaurant to be able to tell somebody th- the thing that they're selling is not risky. Or might have an, <laughs> or might have a little bit of a risk, and so the project that we did was exactly that. We went to, I think it was like 175 restaurants all throughout the U.S. Ordered 200 and, 265. Yeah. There we go. I'm looking at the abstract, yeah, the actual paper. Yeah, <laughs> Don knows my research better than I do. Um, but <laughs> I know, I'm just faster on the internet. Yeah. So so we we would ask, you know, order order a burger and and then um, sort of ask prompt them. Oh wait, is that okay to order it? Um, at that temperature at, at medium rare, you know, not, not even a specific temperature. Mm-hmm. And we got a wide variety of answers from, you know what, that, you know, that's probably not safe for you to, we have to put a message on our, uh, you know, our, on our menu that says this is risky, but it's really not. I eat medium rare hamburgers all the time. And, and so, <laughs> so it's kind of like this, it seems like a good idea, right? Let's let's put this communication responsibility in the hands of the restaurant. But from a functional standpoint, we kind of found it, it doesn't it doesn't really work the way that we want it to in the world of food safety. So we sh- we need to think about different ways to do that. And um, it, but but the variability that we saw was much higher in small independent restaurants as opposed to chain restaurants. And we didn't go to any fast food. It was all you know, sit down, full service, um, chain restaurants and independent places. So, but it's, it, for, for us, it kind of highlighted, well, we have, we have different challenges with different types of restaurants. Like they're not all looking at the risks the same way. Yeah. Oh, you were in Blacksburg for this or somebody was. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we were in Blacksburg. That, yeah. Yeah. We, we, I spend a, quite a bit of time in Blacksburg, uh, cause we have really close collaborators at Virginia Tech. Oh. oh, well, that's where I spent yeah. four of my years. So uh, I am both very happy to hear that. And sorry, you had to spend a lot of time there. <laughs> like, well, Virginia Tech is wonderful, but Blacksburg yeah. is uh, not a metropolis by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> it is not. It is not. No. And okay. and that's part of the reason I think why I live in Raleigh. Um, after, after <laughs> <You know>, visiting. <laughs> I think I feel like I told you this story at some point, Ben, but I used to be a tour guide at Virginia Tech. And, and I love to joke at like the end of the tour that despite the fact that at to the best of my recollection anyway, despite the fact that the nearest Krispy Kreme to, to NC State was like three blocks away or something like that, and the nearest Krispy Kreme to Virginia Tech was 45 minutes in away in Roanoke, <laughs> I still wound up at Tech, and that's how much I like that darn school. But, uh, but yes, it is It is not a metropolis by any stretch of the imagination. I, I was just there for the first time in probably a decade uh, this past summer, and it's gotten a lot bigger than I remembered, of course, as these things are wont to do, but uh, still kind of a podunk town, kind of in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> So, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, I mean, our our little world of food safety, there's a really strong food safety program um, at Virginia Tech. So we get to, we get to collaborate quite a bit uh, and, and visit and 
I've, you know, I'll, I'll totally butcher my my references, but I think I drank a rail at some sort yeah. of yeah top of the stairs, top mm -hmm. of the stairs. Yep, yep. Mm -hmm. I, yep. I've I've completed that challenge. Yep, yep, yep. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's yeah, it's a, it, I mean, it's like a it's a traditional kind of college town in the south, right? Like yeah. it's in the middle of nowhere, and um, everything revolves around the the, the college, <laughs> yeah. for better or for worse. Indeed. <laughs> Yeah. That's very true. I, I loved my time there. I really did. Uh, I don't think I could live in Southwest Virginia. Um, you know, I've, I've said many times that I feel like Virginia is kind of three states in the same way that California is probably like 15 states, if not by by uh, culture, by landmass. But uh, Virginia is, you know, there's Northern Virginia, which is the D.C. suburbs. And that's like the Northeast. You know, I'm sure, you know, Don, you probably take offense at that. But as someone who grew, you know, grew up in New York and Connecticut, I feel mm -hmm. like, you know, Northern Virginia is kind of still the Northeast. Then you start heading south, you get to Richmond, where I am. And now we're in this like melting pot area where there's enough transplants and whatnot that you're not full-on south but you're certainly not full-on north either by any stretch of the imagination and then once you get too far outside richmond it gets uh real rural re really rural really quickly which in of itself is fine but uh but definitely different like political views than than i personally share so uh, i spent four years in blacksburg i love my time there and i was very happy to leave <laughs> Yeah, well, we, we have a we have a good friend and colleague, <clears throat> Laura Strawn, who works at Virginia Tech, and she was based on uh, I forget the, the the research station on the coast. The and she's been more. Yeah. Uh, Something like that. No, is that what it's called? No, Eastern Shore is Maryland, but oh, no, no, there's she, Eastern but, Shore, Virginia. Yeah, yeah, yeah there, there is as well. Okay. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so she was based somewhere somewhere not in. Um, Blacksburg, and mm -hmm. she's been happy to move to Blacksburg, where there is some civilization. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's actually a net a net improvement for her. Yeah, you know the Eastern Shore. So Virginia, you know, is ninety some percent of Virginia is this one big landmass that everyone's picturing when they picture Virginia. But then there's that little mm -hmm. spit off to the side, mm -hmm. which is effectively right. Maryland for all intents and purposes. And um, and yeah, so there's uh, there's this humongous uh, Hampton Roads. Uh, was it the Hampton Road? No, it's Chesapeake Bay Bridge Tunnel. I always get the name wrong. Mm -hmm. And it's like this fifteen mile bridge tunnel, bridge tunnel, bridge tunnel thing. And yeah, uh, that takes cool. you to the east. Yeah, it's yeah. it's very neat actually, and uh, and that takes you to the eastern shore. And the eastern shore is actually where we tend to vacation in the summer. So when you're when you're living in central Virginia, it's it's required by law somewhere that you either go to the Outer Banks, uh, which I'm sure Ben is familiar with, right. and um, and if you don't go to the Outer Banks, then you need to go to some other beach, and that's either Virginia Beach, uh, which is kind of scuzzy if you ask me, or you can go to the eastern shore, which is very very like slow and small, and the waves are tiny because there's Chesapeake Bay, and when you have two small children, tiny waves sound really good, you know. Yeah. And so yes. I don't know where this I don't know where the Agricultural Research and Extension Center for Virginia Tech is specifically, but it sounds like it is indeed on the eastern shores. So. Yeah, it's in it's in Painter, Virginia. I don't know if you know where that Never is. Never even heard of it. Yeah, that's why Laura wanted to not live there. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's slow and small as you described, I think. Uh no no offense to our uh, <laughs> no, 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 agricultural no. research extension center colleagues. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, that's a that's a solid like it looks like half an hour forty five minutes north of where we visit. So when we visit, we go to a yeah. place called Cape Charles, which is like basically right off this bridge tunnel oh, yeah. thing. And yeah. and and this looks like it's a solid drive north, which is basically further away from any particular civilization from yeah. from where Cape Charles is. And Cape Charles is by only a loose definition civilization <laughs> to begin with, but that's all right. All right, so I got to ask you guys. Uh, I have I have some food questions if you if you'll sure. permit me. I have recently embraced the one true way, which is Kerrygold butter. I don't know if you guys oh, have experienced this. Oh, I'm but, familiar. Yes. Oh, it, it, is, it is obscenely expensive. It is 
it is how I know I've made it to some you know measure of making it because I can I can afford Kerrygold butter because I I swear five years ago I'd have to mortgage the house to be able to afford it. Uh, hashtag not so humble brag. But uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, we have decided that m the bane of my existence is refrigerated butter. And just bear with me before you jump all over me, yeah, yeah. because refrigerated butter is impossible to spread. You cannot spread it, and yeah, I don't have yeah, to yeah, I don't want to have yeah. to plan thirty minutes in advance to spread yeah. my damn butter. Yeah, yeah. So. My understanding is that the French have some like water bath sort of container. I don't even know what it's called, but like some container oh, that has like yeah. water involved. And we'll talk about that in a second. But what we do is we got just a freaking butter dish, you know, so a piece of porcelain with a lid and we stick the butter in the you know, on the piece of porcelain, put a lid on it and we just let it sit on the counter. And I would say in the span of a couple of weeks, the four of us will go through a stick of butter. So it's not like it's sitting there for a month and a half. Am I making a mistake? Am I poisoning my children by doing this? Okay, I will, before we answer this question, th this is my my like favorite thing. What what do you what, what are you worried about? Like I, when you say you're poisoned, what's what's your like what do you think might be happening in this? Part? So that's a great question. I honestly don't know. It just okay. seems wrong. As, <laughs> it just seems bad, I, I, yeah. Yeah, it just seems bad. Like you wouldn't sit in milk. And I heard, I did hear the episode, I believe, when you guys talked about sitting milk overnight on the counter. But, um, but you know, it seems like you, know, you don't want to put milk on the counter. And butter is like largely milk and I guess milk, a whole bunch yeah. of fat. But, yeah. you know, I, to my ignorant brain, it's milk and fat. And so it seems like this is wrong. And I've been programmed my entire life as an American that you put butter in the fridge. And I know that there are other cultures that absolutely do not do that. But as an American, it just seems like, oh, the butter goes in the fridge but as an adult where i can make my own choices slash mistakes i don't want to put my butter not all of my butter in the fridge i want to have one ready for use at a moment's notice and so i i, I hear what you're saying and the implication of what you're saying is that you know what is really going to turn but i have to assume that if i left it out for two or six months it would I mean, obviously i'm not doing that but you know if i left it out for six months it's obviously going to turn some way somehow but if i only have it out for a week or two i'm, I'm cool right well, so Casey, we have got a podcast for you. Um, it, it is called "It is called Risky or Not." That's, that's what I was thinking of. I apologize. Is, yes, yes, yes. Is, oh, that's right. is, is by the amazing Kevin Budnick, and uh, yeah, and there's an episode forty-one, butter at room temperature. And oh, I missed it, that. Okay, I, I'm oh, it's go, okay. I will it's okay. give myself a homework it's, assignment. It's it's yeah yeah, but but I mean, but don't 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 do it now because <laughs> you're talking <laughs> us now. Yeah. We'll do it for but, you. But yes, yeah. So yeah, we'll 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 try to recreate that episode. But basically. So butter, especially salted butter, okay, is uh, a water, I got to get this right, a water in oil emulsion, which means that the continuous phase is, is lipid and the discontinuous phase is water. And that water that's in that discontinuous phase has salt in it. So any microorganisms that might be in that butter, the only place they're going to really be able to grow is it, they're not going to be able to grow in the in the in the lipid phase because the the water there's there's not available water and bacteria mm -hmm, need mm -hmm. water to grow and the and the bacteria that find themselves perhaps in that uh, water phase it's going to be too salty for them and it's also pasteurized anyway right mm -hmm, and so mm -hmm. the there shouldn't be any pathogens there and even so even if you were to introduce some pathogens you know like by I don't know like like sneezing onto it or one of your, <laughs> your dirty little children putting right, their fingers right. all in it right there's really very little potential there now you're right though about the leaving it for an extended period of time but the, then what will happen is the oil in the butter will become rancid and that's a chemical reaction and that's mm. gross mm. and you shouldn't eat that butter because <laughs> it's gross but it's but it's not unsafe 
Okay, so so as long as I'm not being a dope about it. Now, what if it was, no. well, I think the Kerrygold I'm sitting on the counter is salted, and I'm not going to run downstairs and verify, mm -hmm. but let's suppose for the sake of conversation it was not salted. Then the, then the math gets a little different? Yeah, it's, I would say it's riskier, um, okay. but it's probably still not that risky. And again, uh, you know, in, in, the, in the episode... Uh, the risky or not episode that we there have been outbreaks linked to butter, but again, those are typically situations where the butter. So there was a, a one uh, butter epidemic in uh, Listeria monocytogenes outbreak in uh, uh, butter in Finland, but that was because it was in the butter to begin with because it was not properly processed, right? Um, mm -hmm. So so yeah, so generally, and there's a the, the second link there viability of pathogenic organisms in butter which I'm not going to click on right now, which might, might give some insight <laughs> as well. But, uh, but yeah, you know, and while we're plugging, cause we, cause we, we do this, we don't, we don't have, we don't have ads on the show uh, cause we do it cause it's part of our job. Our solution to unspreadable butter is a wonderful thing from Lando Lakes uh, called Lando Lakes butter with olive oil and sea salt, which mm, is I'm familiar with keep this. in the refrigerator and it's really good. But uh, yeah, my, but my wife is also a baker. And so often when we have butter in the house, it's unsalted butter because you can just add, I mean, yep, yep, yep. it's not the same, but she wants to bake with, with unsalted butter. But yeah, I mean, if you... You know, life is too short to eat bad food, as far as I'm concerned. And <laughs> if you, you know, if you can, if you can, if you can go with Kerrygold butter, the Irish, boy, the Irish, uh, they know how to do food. You know, and and yeah, I would, yeah. So so again, thumbs up for Kerrygold for me, and and okay to leave it on the counter. <laughs> yeah, well, good good deal. And I'm a, um, so I'm also very much a Kerrygold user, uh, and and I agree that it's one of these things that. Um, when I used to go grocery shopping, I was like, oh, is, is it, are we getting good bread? Cause then I can get the Kerrygold to, to go with it. And, and, right. Like, like, I don't want to, I don't want to subject myself to bad butter or just, you know, what normal regular butter, if we're going to get some good bread, but, but over time we have, we have switched only to Kerrygold, uh, as well. Um, but, but growing up, so I grew up in, in Canada and we, in a house that didn't have air conditioning, we never put butter in our fridge. Like, oh, wow. it was, it, it's such, there, there are so like, there are weird things moving to the US, especially the South where like a question came up to me in the first year that I was here doing food safety things about the safety of leaving ketchup as a condiment in a pantry. And, and I, it was so baffling to me because that's another, like if I went to, I, I mean, I was at my parents' house over the Christmas holidays and went and got ketchup and it doesn't exist in their house in the refrigerator. It's only in the pantry. <laughs> and, and, and it's like, so the, you're, it, it, I, I never really thought about butter being refrigerated, condiments being refrigerated, like pickles exist in the pantry in, mm -hmm. um, in, in at least in my, you know, frame of reference growing up, uh, as a, you know, as a Canadian, um, but it's the, your, your question is really interesting because, and that's, that's why I asked you, like, what is it that you're worried about? Because I, I don't think people can put their finger on what the problem might mm -hmm, be mm -hmm. is, but, but there's this innate, like, well, it's just not good. Right. Like it should be. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. And, and when you buy it at the store, it's in the refrigerator. Right. Right. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. And, and we, and again, I mean, we've done, and then this is a favorite topic of, of of ours is like we are so conservative in the advice that we give to consumers about food safety that either either 
they are petrified about doing anything wrong, right? Or they're like, you know what? I, I'm just tired of people telling me what to do. And I've been, again, I've been doing it this way. I, I eat rare hamburger all the time and I never get sick, you know? Right, and so right, they right. just, they just tune it out. And, and what, what, one of the things that Ben and I try to do is to, is to try to say, well, okay, yeah. So why, why is it that this is safe or why is, is that we think this is not safe. And, but it's always good to get, as I like to call it, the perspective of normal people yeah. um, and, and, <laughs> with, and with, and with respect, Casey, with respect to food, I would call you a normal person. Now, yeah, I think that's um, fair. not, but, but you're not a normal person when it comes to like computers, right? No, right? no, I'm with you. I'm with you're, you. you're on the, on the end, end of the, the, the end of the bell curve there uh, with, sure. with that tech topic, but uh, yeah. All right. So before we leave the butter topic, I briefly yeah. made mention of this. So, and I, one of you found this and put this in the show in the chat. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. A butter boat is, I yes. guess, what I'm thinking of. This is like the French thing that you put, mm -hmm. I guess, water in the bottom of a dish, and then you put like a special, like plate, if you will, on top of that, and then you put the butter on the plate and the lid on top of the whole the whole kit and caboodle. Why is this better? Am I missing out by not doing this? I know. I I mean, I I've never used one of these. Um, I don't think it's better. Um, I think what's <laughs> I think what's happening here is that the the water itself is sort of changing the humidity that's around the butter. Like it's it's mm -hmm. about the cover of it. So there's some evaporation that's happening, and that humidity is making it so the butter the butter is soft. I, I'm a you know I've got I've got two kids uh, as as well. The the um, footprint that this provides in my refrigerator is too much, oh. right? Like this, I don't, I, I got, there's so much food that's going in and out of my refrigerator that I wouldn't, this isn't worth it to me. If I had like a second refrigerator, um, but like, like, uh, or I guess it was John's freezer. Um, right, 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 maybe, right. maybe that would, maybe I would be able to use it, but we, but this is something that I, I, I don't think it's any better. I, I, I don't think but it's I, worth it. I think the idea, Ben, is that you, you, you use this to keep it, on the counter. No, it's I'm in the right. refrigerator, isn't it? I thought I thought it was no. for the counter. Oh no! If re, if you read the Amazon page, it's it says um, butter stores in the refrigerator stored in the store. Yeah, that's a typo in the web page. Um, butter store butter oh. stores in the refrigerator is too hard to spread. While left out on the counter, will melt. What oh, butter what just it? melts left to its own devices? Oh, I, I don't know. I don't know. This is this is not a this is not a good this is not a good web page. This Amazon <laughs> page is not good. But but what's the I'm trying to figure out what the where have you have you looked at one of these Casey? Where is the water? I think so. I think if you look at the what is it, the third, fourth image, fourth image. So it says okay. how to use pour a half to two thirds of a cup yeah. of cold water ah, into okay. the bottom piece. Then you place your stick of butter on the middle piece. This is the plate I was referring to earlier. And then you cover the lid with the whole damn thing. And and I guess that somehow magically makes it uh, apparently not melt, which is not a problem I can say I've had. Don't. But here we are. Yeah. I don't know. I, my, my limited understanding, maybe I am completely wrong about this, but I thought that this was a very stereotypically French thing. So I guess, Ben, you are mm -hmm. not a French Canadian, are you? No. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, this is a stereotypically French thing. Wee oui, wee. Oui. And, uh, and, and I don't know why this is better or worse or otherwise, but I just thought since you guys are the experts, uh, I would ask you. And it sounds like at least from a safety perspective, it's no better or worse. No, no, no I don't. I'm I can't. I'm trying to figure out what's the food science principle that this is supposed to be uh, honoring. Me. Like what? Yeah. I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll keep, I'll keep searching here in the background. It's a yeah. simple yet ingenious system. I mean, it's right there. Yeah, and yeah. then, yeah. uh huh. 
Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, all right. That, all right. Now you got, you convinced me. Yeah. All oh right. So, uh, kind of related to things sitting around, I bet you there is a risky or not about this. And I, and I see that, and I know that you have done risky or not episodes about particular things sitting like milk, for example, mm -hmm. but on a more broad level, could, could there be a ruling for, you know, <laughs> we've made dinner and let's take it as an example, Erin uh, will cook salmon, and she doesn't cook it rare or anything like that. Like if we're having sushi, that's a whole different discussion. But mm -hmm. let's say we have salmon that has been cooked through to some reasonable temperature such that the color is the color you would expect. And the kids have some leftovers and, you know, they finish dinner uh, to, you know, to the best that they can. We put the, the plates on the kitchen counter. I go upstairs with the kids, or we go upstairs, you know, we do the shower, bath, bedtime routine. An hour later, I come down and say, hey, that salmon still looks pretty tasty. I'm going to go ahead and chow down. In the span of an hour or even a couple hours, am I safe? Yes, oh, definitively, yeah. yes. Right. Okay. So the, the advice that we give to normal people, right, um, is that you can leave food out of refrigeration for two hours um, and you can do it for one hour in the summertime, right? And, th and that's a very conservative recommendation. If you actually look at what it says in the FDA model food code, which is not a regulation, it's not a regulation, but it's a, it's a, it's a document that FDA develops that then the states adopt for their state food codes, right? And you look at what that allows a restaurant to do, you can leave a, a food like salmon, which used to be called a potentially hazardous food and is now called a time temperature control for safety food, which does is more accurate, but doesn't roll off the, the tongue really as well. <laughs> um, you can actually keep that food out of temperature control for up to four hours. And then at, at, at magically at 401, um, you have to either eat it or throw it away. And, and obviously that's not, that's not quote unquote the truth either, but, but certainly, and, and then the, the question is like, well, then, you know, that leads down the rabbit trail of, well, how long can I actually leave it? And that's sure. where, that's where it gets complicated, but an hour you're fine. Honestly, two hours, you're fine. What we wouldn't recommend. And we, and this has been a topic you know, a couple of times on risky or not. I left X on the counter overnight. Um, yeah, not mm, probably, mm. probably, I mean, again, you probably, most of the time, honestly, you could, you could probably eat that salmon for breakfast, um, most of the time and you'd be fine, but not, a, not a, a practice we would recommend, I would say. <laughs> That's that, completely fair. So, so ben, kind of corollary. That, oh, okay. So corollary to that though. So when I used to go to an office for a traditional jobby job, I would oftentimes find like the big group lunch that maybe I wasn't a part of, or maybe I was like, you know, this, the 15 pizzas <laughs> that came in at like noon and now it's five o'clock and I'm feeling a little peckish. And I grab one of those slices of pizza that's been sitting perhaps in a covered pizza box, but certainly not refrigerated. And it's been sitting there from noon until five. Am I, it's, uh, now I'm starting to get into the gray area then, huh? Well, I think now yeah. it depends on the food. And yeah. again, we've talked about pizza. We've talked about pizza a lot on Risky or Not. <laughs> but go ahead, Ben. I'm on mute. Um, oh. Yeah. So, no, I mean, I, I think that this is where the, the, the like as Don said, the food really matters. So pizza, and this is one where there, I think there's a little bit of a turns out too. If you're looking at like um, pepperoni pizza, cheese pizza, something that's got a cured meat, even bacon pizza, just, just on its own. I, over time and through the pizza baking process, the water activity, so what we talked about earlier, the water that's available to microbes, it mm. gets really low. And so, so low that almost nothing's going to survive or grow. 
in there. So so we wouldn't expect that like during the baking process that there would be a lot that um, a lot of things that that are in the growing phase, they're gonna die off. There might be some spores that are there, but the water is so low that they're not gonna come out of spore really for like, you know, hours and hours and hours like you could you, you could leave that cheese pizza on your uh you know in the in on the counter or in the um in the break room for you know two or three days and i'm i'm not worried about a, a safety issue really yeah but let's let now you add tomatoes or green peppers or uh, something on top okay. of that mm -hmm, there, mm -hmm. that interface between the topping and the cheese there's water there and that is going to be become more of a more of a problem so if you want to leave pizza out get just like pepperoni or cheese um <laughs> and, well, and yeah and and if it's if it's if it's pizza wednesday that's fine if it's taco tuesday and you got leftover re beans and rice and meat there that's a whole different story right gotcha. in terms of in terms of risk yeah it, so it's... is it fair to say that a rule of thumb to the best that a dope like me can compute it is that if it's super water heavy even subsequent to cooking then maybe stay away but if it's something like pizza that you know it it, it seems to have been not nuked in the sense of microwave but like you know cooked to smithereens and there's very little water remaining then to a degree it's a little bit less risky is that a is that a reasonable summary or am i getting into dangerous territory here well, it's, yeah, so it's, there's the concept of, of water activity and I don't know. So your, your training, your training is, is your training in engineering? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, so engineering, that, but oh, computer engineering. Computer? So like pretend engineering. That's not a lot of water. Did you, did, yeah, you ever, exactly. did you ever take, did you ever take a class in physical chemistry? I did take, you know, regular chem, not organic, organic chem, but like okay. regular chem way early on at tech and, and I've since okay. lost all of it. Yeah, so so there is there is a concept um, uh, called water activity, which is the available water in a food, and if that's a concept that comes from physical chemistry, from PCHEM, um, and basically it has to do with again from a from a hand wavy microbiologist perspective, it, it's the available water in the food, and so it's mm -hmm. it is. <clears throat> It is related to the water content, but it's not the same as the water content. I gotcha. So mm -hmm. for example, um, if you have a, a food that you have uh, that, that has a very high sugar content, like let's say fudge right, or fudge sauce, um, a chocolate fudge sauce or something like that, um, it could be liquid-y and it would seem liquidy, but because it has so much sugar in it, it's got a very low, the water that's I there gotcha. is not available. And same with mm -hmm, salt, mm -hmm. right? It could be a, it could be a, you, let's say a, a good Southern ham, right? That, that <laughs> yeah, is yeah, loaded yeah, yeah, with yeah. salt and nitrites yeah, um, yeah. and it's, it's still very moist, but guess what? There's not really, and again, it all depends upon, you know, it, it is, it does depend on the water content, but it, but there's, there's also this other concept that, that enters into it that, that, that is, that's important for a, a food microbiologist that's trying to, you know, look at risk. I gotcha. All right. So completely unrelated at this point, uh, there's a restaurant uh, very close to me. It was a Thai restaurant and it has since moved locations within the sh same shopping center. But many years ago, a friend of mine, a coworker of mine, went to eat there and noticed a cockroach scurrying across like the kitchen floor or something like that. And he basically swore he would never eat there again. And again, they have since moved locations, and I think they've they've gone ever so slightly upscale from the like um, hole in the wall initial spot that they had. 
But nevertheless, I, I personally feel like, eh, you know, what happened then happened then. I'm sure the health department came in and, and did, you know, told them to do whatever they needed to do. But maybe that's wrong of me. I don't know. But should I never eat at this particular Thai restaurant again? Or is that a safe thing to do? Yeah, this is a really, really good yeah. question. So, so the, I guess here's another like food safety turns out for, for Don and I. We don't really care about cockroaches. Um, they, they, I shouldn't, I shouldn't say that they, they're not like, they don't matter or pests don't, don't matter, but it's not the thing that is most predictive of whether a restaurant's going to have an outbreak or not. Um, mm. it, it's, it, you know, the, the handling of the food is really what, what matters. And so we're, Don and I, every once in a while, we'll get involved in, um, legal cases as expert witnesses. And one of the, the starting points for me is always to ask for, okay, give me the, if, if it's a restaurant that's caused an illness or supposedly caused an illness, give me the last like three years worth of inspection results. Because in most jurisdictions in the US, you can get that. You can find out, all right, you know, here in, here in North Carolina, restaurants are inspected four times a year. So I can get like 12 inspections. What I'm looking for is not at all related to cockroaches or pests. I'm looking for, what what kind of hand washing violations were seen? Was mm, there a problem mm. with like cross contamination? So one of the things that that's seen in those inspections is, um, you know, whether they're the egregious stuff of like raw chicken dripping on lettuce in a cooler. That's oh, bad, gross. right? Yeah, yeah. Like, but you don't often see that. But you might see like th they were um, th there was pooled chicken juice um, on a food handling surface or and that 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 was then used to um to make a salad or, or something like that mm -hmm. um but pest control almost never comes up in my mind as something that i would look at to give an indication on whether the restaurant is is quote safe or not some you know some restaurants exist in buildings where that's fully out of their control um, and so, but, but, but what I am really interested in is, oh, are they using thermometers to, to cook, you know, to cook their food, um, and check the, the temperature. So I'm, you know, the, the reasons for the restaurant being closed or having that low score matter more to me than what the final grade is. And if it's all for just, you know, cockroaches and, and rodents, that's gross, but it's not a, it's not something that I look at as as a real direct line to to safety of the food that they're producing. But but let me let me offer not a counterpoint, but yes. maybe a, a you in the a, back. A, a, <laughs> thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Yeah. First time, uh, first time, long time, first time. Um, so the um, the what what I will say is so one of the things that I, I often think about and we often we get asked is like, well, what about <clears throat> if I, what if I walk into a restaurant? And the, the bathroom is dirty, right? Mm -hmm. um, well, what and and I would say like and the way you phrased the question, Casey, was very good because you said one time a friend saw one cockroach in the restaurant, right? Yep, yep, but yep. I would say the calculation in my mind gets a little bit different. Yes, I mean you could look at the scores and all of what Ben said is completely true. But if every time I go into that restaurant, there's never any toilet paper or soap in the bathroom, and Yikes. every time mm -hmm. I go to the restaurant, I see roaches somewhere 
that's different than one time I saw a roach, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because what that, what, what, what both of those things say to me, okay, somebody is not managing something, right? They're not managing to keep the restaurant. They're not managing to keep the restroom stock, the soap and toilet paper and paper towels. They're not managing. Yes. The pest control may be out of their control, but you know what? If I see roaches every time, I've got to wonder isn't there something that they could be doing? And so, although maybe those, those attributes are not predictive, they're certainly indicative of somebody not paying attention, right? And sure, if they're sure. not paying attention to the bathrooms and they're not paying attention to roaches, what else are they not paying attention <laughs> to, right? And, and, sure. and, and, and maybe, maybe they're also not calibrating their thermometers, maybe they're not checking their temperatures, maybe they're not rotating their stock, maybe they're not storing things correctly. All I can see is how the restaurants look and whether I see roaches or not, right? So, but 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 from a from, from a scientific point of view, Ben is right. It's much better to look at the scores and then to figure out what the violations were and look and again, I I pasted in the chat a paper that probably comes up every every five or six episodes uh, by our colleague, Ruth Petran and others, uh, health department inspection criteria more likely to be associated with outbreak restaurants in Minnesota. And that's a great article because what they did is they looked and they said, okay, we have these people going out and inspecting restaurants and here are the things that they're looking at, but which of these things actually predict whether a restaurant or Mm. indicate whether a restaurant is more likely to cause a foodborne disease outbreak or not. And, Mm -hmm. and that's, uh, and we need more research like that. So, yeah. Yeah. So kind of building off of that, there was a video, I think Merlin spread it around, I want to say three or four months ago, and it was like a former spy or like Navy SEAL or something like that. I'm never going to be able to dig this up mm. in the show notes, so I'm so sorry. But mm. it was like a former spy or Navy SEAL talking about what they do for like better situational awareness, right? So like when they go in a restaurant, and I'm making this up at this point because I barely remember what I had for dinner last night, much le- much less a YouTube video from four months ago. But, you know, they go in a restaurant and they're looking at where the exits are and what kind of people would be a threat and so on and so forth. And they're not necessarily saying this is necessary for you or me, but it was just a fascinating, you know, glimpse into their psyche of what they think about because of their training and so on. So with that in mind, what is your like top one or two, I don't one or two things that you would recommend for me to look at if I'm nervous or concerned about the safety of the food I'm about to consume. Now, this is also predicated on the thought of me entering a restaurant for anything other than takeout, which I haven't done in like two years. Yeah. But when we eventually are able to go back inside, or when I am eventually able to go back inside restaurants, uh, when my four-year-old is finally vaccinated, then what, what, what are the like telltale signs that, that things are awry? Well, again, I, I like to, I like to know, is it, is it, does it look clean? Is it well lit? Are the people, do the people seem to know what they're doing? Um, did they get my order right? Um, you know, is the bathroom clean? I mean, again, the, and again, these are, these are just, this is, this is not scientific. This is just my sure. opinion, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like Ben said, you can go back in many states, you can go or jurisdictions, you can go back and you can look at their inspection results. Um, you know, one of the things is that there should be uh, there should be a certificate on the wall. Well, there should be a couple of things on the wall. There, there should be a recent health department inspection certificate, which should be posted somewhere um, that's visible, right? Um, there should be a typically a certificate that says that the person in charge has been trained for, for serve safe. So you can look at that. Um, yeah, I don't know. Those are the things that I do. Ben, do you have anything more, <laughs> more yeah, helpful? No, so- 
So I, I, I ask a lot of questions mm. um, and I'm a, <laughs> you know, like I'm a, um, and, and I think this is, this is like the sort of the highlights the difference between the type of research that Don does and the type of research that I do. I'm all about, do they know how to manage any of the risks? And this was different for me at, when I, my kids were younger, because up until a, you know, a child's about seven, they don't have a fully developed immune system. And so if we were going to, to a restaurant and I was a, a, like a nerd about this, I just dropped in the chat, Casey, the inspection website for Richmond, I would go, mm -hmm. you know, there's maybe 10 restaurants that we would go to over the course of, you know, our, our, our time here in, in Raleigh. And I would sort of take a look at their inspection results and I'd be looking for what are they doing for hand-washing and, and thermometer use and have that sort of in my mind. And there, we actually, there was a restaurant here in Raleigh that we used to do a lot of catering work with in our department when we'd have a faculty meeting or something. And, um, you know, over like a three or four year period, their inspections, and it, it goes back to something that Don said, their inspections went from really, really high grades to not as high. And then a couple of times getting sort of alerts um, that, you know, that from either local news or, um, you know, being able to, to sort of check it, check it out proactively, seeing that they had had, you know, like they're down to 92, they're not on 89 and we just stopped using them. But I, I knew over time what I was expecting to see in those inspection results from the, you know, 10 restaurants that I would go to, which doesn't help if you're just like dropping in and you're like, is this a good place to, to eat at? Um, the, the types of questions that I ask, like if I was to order and, you know, just coming back to what, um, the research that we did in, in hamburgers, if I was to order a burger or a restaurant, I always order it to a temperature. I don't order it to medium rare. And if the restaurant's like, well, I don't know if we can cook it to 155, then I order something else because. Oh, interesting. Do yeah, you get like, weird looks for that though? Or are the they time. like, what are you talking oh, about? All the time. Yeah. All the yeah. Time. Um, and, and it's, you know, I, we might in a, in a restaurant setting where they've got an open kitchen and, you know, I might try to look a little bit about what it looks like back there. Do I see anything that's like, you know, is there no, are they using bare hands on any of my food? Cause in, in our state that that's, that's not allowed with the, um, you know, they either have to use gloves or tongs or some other mm -hmm. type of way. And I know from, from that paper that the Don um, referenced that, bare hand contact of food is a risk factor for foodborne illness mm -hmm. outbreaks. So, so I'm looking for those types of things. And if someone's like fully clueless in the conversation, then that I'm going to order. And, you know, the, the way that I mitigate it is, or I, I used to, especially when my kids were young, I'm going to order something super fried. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. like, like, I know yeah, you yeah. can't mess this, this up. Like it's going to be, yep, 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 you yep. know, chicken wings and chicken fingers or, or, you know, or whatever. But yeah, but I think over time, as my kids got older, I worry less about it because we don't now have anybody in my, in my home who's like immunocompromised. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I looked up this particular restaurant, which I will not name, and I put the link in the chat, uh, which I don't know if we should necessarily include it in the show notes or not, but don't click it yet or don't read it yet if, <laughs> if you're looking. So there, I'm going to read some of the violations. This is from the last Perfect. year. Now, the, the, I'm talking about years ago when the cockroach was there, right? But this is okay. in the last year or so. 
Um, and so some of them I, I think are not too big a deal. So uh, this is number 49. Walk-in racks and fan guard were dirty. Heavy ice buildup in the chest freezer. Shelves near the dish area had dust and debris. Equipment in storage also dusty. Corrective actions clean. This strikes me as like not great, but not the end of the earth. Is that fair? Exactly. Very exactly. minor. Yeah. Yep. This is okay. just, this is just, uh, yeah. It's just like, just, just do a better job. Clean stuff up. This shouldn't be okay. dusty, but yeah. And, you know, another example, uh, observed three boxes of food in contact with the floor at the dry storage rack. Here again, I mean, maybe not desirable, but, you know, whatever. Uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, Windex and sanitizer were stored with the drinking alcohol at the bar. <laughs> Whether or not oh. they're spiking the alcohol with Windex is a different discussion. But no, like... it's just, that's just a, like a confusion thing. You don't right. want to, that's just, again, best practice, store food off the floor. Best practice, cleaning chemicals and, and food separate, right? That's, Yeah. Okay, so there's two more, and then I will let you read whatever you would like to read. Uh, the <laughs> second one, which gets me a little nervous, but I think it's okay. Bar soda gun nozzle had heavy buildup inside. That feels like it's not great, but probably not going to cause any major problems. Is that fair? Okay. Well, and it depends what the buildup is. It could be uh, scale, true. right? Yeah. yeah. All right, but then number one, tell me if you've heard anything about this sort of thing being a problem. Raw chicken skewers were stored over, over an open container of veggies in the Oops. cook line low boy. Oops. There that we go. Seems like there we that's go. not desirable. Have a winner. Yeah. That is not desirable at all. Right. Uh, and that was June 9th of 2021. Well, and that's, I mean, you, you just nailed exactly what it, what I would be doing. You're, you could now be an expert witness in a in a case uh, <laughs> because it's, it's pretty obvious, right? You look at someone, okay, this place, you know, whatever they they've had an outbreak. They haven't had an outbreak. If they had, it's really easy to draw a line and say, Oh, it was Salmonella or Campylobacter that caused this outbreak. Well, this place has a history of doing this practice and not mm -hmm. only do they do it, we have actual documentation of it, right? Like it wasn't just thought about that. This could be a, could be a problem, but here it was written down and that, that draws a direct line to, to something that makes it more risky than, than the cockroach that, that someone might've seen one time. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, no, it's great. So I want to come back to the, um, to the Windex and chemical, um, mm -hmm. thing. So you, you may have seen this, you may not, but just, I think this was yesterday or two days ago. I saw this. Um, there was a uh, an incident at, at a Cracker Barrel a couple of years ago, where a man was served liquid sanitizer instead of water at what? a location in Tennessee because of this exact thing that there was um, <laughs> some word. sort of sanitizer that was put into a pitcher that a server thought that pitcher was water poured Oof. it in, and it was a four point three million dollar. Um, Holy cow. Yeah. Settlement. And cause it's like, I mean, if you drank just straight up liquid sanitizer, there's a lot of burning that's going to happen um, mm -hmm. in, in this. So, so yeah, I mean that, and we, we've seen, um, you know, we've seen food safety cases like this. This isn't unique. Like this, this might, you, I, I might read about something like this four or five times a year where that, that confusion of two different, you know, types of containers could really lead to, to a problem. So, yeah, so that's why. So that one is like, Ooh, I wouldn't want to, you know, I, I, I wouldn't want a restaurant. I wouldn't want to be eating in a restaurant that is constantly making, you know, uh, putting servers into a position where they might make that mistake because mm -hmm. the consequences mm -hmm. are pretty bad. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, and, you know, another, another example of a best practice would be when you're scooping ice out of the ice machine, use a plastic scoop, right? Yeah. Um, don't use a glass because if you use yeah. a glass, mm -hmm. the glass could break. And now you've got shards of glass mixed with ice. And guess what? Those things look the same. Now, 
again, it's going to be a one-off like this guy with the uh, accidental poisoning. It's probably not going to make hundreds of people sick, but boy, I sure wouldn't want to get a piece of glass in my, in my drink. And, and that can, again, lead to, lead to a lawsuit. And so there's, there's, there's reasons why we have, um, you know, like these sort of common sense rules because, you know, people still do things that aren't sensible. You know, it's totally. funny. So I've never dabbled with the, uh, I, with the health departments, like restaurant records for restaurants that I'll patronize from time to time. Um, and I'm looking and just arbitrarily, uh, I'm looking at another restaurant and, and there's almost nothing here, which makes me uh, assume yep. that they're yep. good to go. Yeah. And as yep. compared to the Thai restaurant that I shared the link with you guys earlier, yeah. there were quite a few items. And so now I'm wondering if maybe I should take that Thai restaurant off. I mean, I haven't been there in years anyway, but maybe I should take that off the rotation for a little while just to play it safe because well, holy cow but but realize too like these records are imperfect and in fact sure. um a lot of it comes down to the inspector and in fact i was doing a, mm -hmm. a, a food foodborne disease lawsuit um and one of the in the depth reading the depositions and one of the things is the inspector made the point which is of course a perfectly valid thing they don't let inspectors stay on the same beat all the time like after a few years you have to move to a different beat because they don't want you becoming chummy with the restaurants and also mm -hmm. they want to if you're a particularly hard inspector they want to give those restaurants a break and if you're a particularly soft inspector sure. they want to give those restaurants a break but but yeah absent any other data this is good information right yeah yeah and it's, and, and like you said don it's it's it, the, as long as you recognize the flaws right it's a snapshot right. in time um, what we, we did some research on this uh, a few years ago, Casey, where we interviewed health inspectors and operators and asked them really just, you know, all of the questions re revolved around one central theme, which is, do you do things differently when the inspector is there? That's what we asked the restaurants. And we asked mm -hmm. the, the inspectors, do you think the restaurants are doing things differently when you're there? And the answer to both of those questions was resounding yes. <laughs> right. Like, so, so it's not always representative. One of my favorite, totally. yeah. One of my favorite, like things to come out of that, that research was, um, a, an operator. This was at another, um, college town in Manhattan, Kansas, where Kansas state university is. And I interviewed an operator at a independent restaurant where he said, when the inspector comes in, if I'm here, I put all of my staff on break. I put the cook on break. Oh my goodness. I put the servers on break. I will run all tickets, both seating people, because I don't trust that they won't make a mistake. And I was like, wow, thanks. That's really fascinating, like approach and research. Also, what does that mean that you don't trust that they're going to do it right all the time? Like what, you know, tell me more about that. And he said, you know, that we have labor issues. I'm, I'm constantly dealing with turnover. Um, and this is over a decade ago. Um, so it's not even related to the current labor issues, but he, he said, I, I, I know that they can make the food, but I'm not sure that they are able to follow the rules all the time. And I would much rather deal with an hour of trying to run the restaurant by myself than deal with a low inspection score. Um, hmm. and it's, it's a really interesting trade-off. Like I kind of was like, wow, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about the safety of your food all the time. Right. Like what is what does right. that mean? So but well, yeah, there's there's limitations, but it's but it's also, as Don said, it's in absence of anything else. And we don't really have a lot of other data. These inspection results give us something to go on. And, and this is a really interesting trade off. Right. Because I've got to imagine during that one hour when the inspector is there, 
the service in that restaurant is absolute crap. Right. right? Terrible. Because <laughs> so 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 what this guy is doing is he's giving a whole bunch of customers really lousy service for an hour in exchange for hopefully having a good inspection score, which yeah. might be have more impact than I guess that hour of bad service. But I sure wouldn't want to be a customer in that restaurant during that one hour. So I'm not getting my food. Right. But, but I guess, you know, his, his view was oh, yeah. that inspection grade is going to hang in my window for, for four to six months. Yeah, so at least, yeah. Yeah. So, so I need, I let me, let me take the hit this hour. Right. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. I don't know. So Casey, I mean, you said at the start, um, this might change all of your decisions or you're worried about it. Like, does this, does this, I don't know. Does it, what we're talking about, does it impact how you, you know, how you see food safety when you go to a restaurant now? Uh, a little bit. Uh, it, it especially, I, I didn't, I knew to a degree, but not to the degree that I understand now that the people were the problem like that, that oh, yes. in so many ways it's the way the food is handled and it, it seems to me if in this is probably unfair but the the summary that i feel like i'm i'm imprinting on myself is that number one make sure the people aren't being dopes and then number two make sure to the degree that one reasonably can without asking to look at like temperatures and things the temperatures are okay and and that seems to be the things that you guys are most focused on from my perspective. Now, maybe that's not accurate, but from my point of view, that mm. seems to be what you guys are most concerned with. Yeah. 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 I would say temperature and cross-contamination and then, and then worker behavior, which drives both of those things. Mm. Yeah. So with that in mind, I'm looking at yet another restaurant that I really enjoy. <laughs> uh, and this is, this is a local, like a half Asian, half Mexican place. And it's, it's supposed to be like a mashup and, and there's three different violations. And the third one listed cooling continues to be an issue. Ooh. which is not a good start. Yep. Carne asada at 80 degrees Fahrenheit found in lidded Lexans, maybe, maybe I'm pronouncing that wrong, stacked, yep. stacked inside each or reach in. Chili lime chicken found at 68 degrees Fahrenheit in portion bags inside, inside deep lidded Lexan stacked inside reach in. Ground beef, 80 degrees Fahrenheit found in closed, found in space closed, deep Lexan inside reach in. Corrective actions, person in charge removed carne asada and chicken from Lexans and placed on flat trays. This, all caps, must improve. Management's attention is needed. Failure to properly cool increases chance of causing a foodborne illness. That is very alarming, even to me. That does not sound yeah. good at all. That sounds like a really good inspector. Um, yeah. To, to be able to to like talk about the history of this, but then also really really write and include what the what that corrective action is. And what's happening there is that those covered Lexan. So those are like um, plastic storage containers. Lexan's those big, like, like kind of cubic, one, cubic yes. looking ones. That, okay. Yeah. 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 Clear, clear plastic. They, they are probably insulating that, that food in the, in the region. Regions aren't really good pieces of equipment to do cooling because there's not a lot of air circulation in them. So they have trouble holding temperature in general. Um, and so it sounds like they're now, again, the, the, the issue here is it's one time point, but if if they were able to share how long it was that that it um, and I mean I'm sure the inspector knew how long it was since those the cooked product was placed in that region in those Lexans to to cool. Um, they're not cooling quick enough, which really could be um, a foodborne illness concern. And you know, like the corrective action said, the, the you want more air circulation around food during cooling, better than less. Um, and mm -hmm. Don actually has some 
you've got some data on that, right? Yeah, you we've I've, I've had a yeah, I've had an interest in cooling of foods since the early 2000s because uh, it's a problem. We got we got a, a grant funding in a number of years ago to look at cooling of cooked meat products, you know, specifically like large roasts and hams and stuff for USDA inspected plants. But we've sort of transitioned to a look, looking at that in restaurants. And the problem, the, the food code says that you have to cool. Um, the cooling process takes place is expected to take place over six hours, right? And so you have to move from and I won't get the numbers quite right, but you have to move from temperature A to temperature B in so many hours and then from temperature B to temperature C in so many additional hours. The problem is even, even within that two hour window, an inspector is not going to be in a restaurant for that entire time. And so the sure. restaurant, the, the inspector doesn't know right away if the food is going to make it according to the, the cooling recommendations or not. And so one of the things that we've been doing is looking at, are there some simple quantitative measures where the inspector comes in, he looks to see if there's any foods that are cooling, he takes a time and temperature, and then he does his inspection, and then he comes back and he takes another time and temperature. Um, can you just from those two data points actually predict whether, you know, things are going to be okay or not? And it turns out with some assumptions, you can, right? But it's a, it's a tough one because the inspector is not going to be there the whole time to know but the, but the, and the, and the good news is we it's it's all it's really all physics and so we have we have a pretty good idea like there's a, again it's the, that text that's in the chat is pasted from that one manuscript basically put food in shallow containers or make sure the food is you know less than three inches in depth right because the the depth of the food is that's typically the the, 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 the smallest dimension is going to be the depth of the food in the container um, and then also, most importantly, if you're cooling food, you the workers need to be actively monitoring that, right? Because to, to make sure that it's doing what it's supposed to be doing. And then finally, um, don't put a Lexan cover on it, right? Like make sure the food is unventilated. That leads some interesting trade-offs as well, though, because you don't want uncovered food, right? And so the, the, drink, right, the trick right. is, how do you do that? How do you, and the, I mean, what you can do is you can put a piece of parchment paper or you can put, you know, a lid partially covering it. But the idea is that evaporative cooling from the, from the top of the hot food is gonna, is gonna help in terms of cooling. So you don't want a good, a good seal. But, and there are for sure, there are, uh, there are specific foodborne pathogens, Bacillus, Sirius, and Clostridium perfringens in particular that, and the issue with these organisms is they form spores. And so you can properly cook the food and you get rid of salmonella and E. coli and listeria and all of that, but you have spores of bacillus and spores of clostridium that remain and that actually get activated. They wake up when they're cooked. And then it's really a race. How quickly can you cool versus if the spores are there, how, how rapidly can they uh, germinate and then outgrow and then get up to high enough levels to cause illness. And so, yeah, but for sure. And there was a, there was a, there was a recent one that I think we talked about on the podcast. I think it was on the podcast was a, a restaurant that had just egregious cooling of rice yeah. uh, where they came in like 48 hours later and the rice was still at room temperature. I mean, really, oh, really. Yeah. 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 And, and like, that's, that's a, a recipe for uh, food safety issues. Right? Like that's, that's going to yeah. lead to, to toxin formation. Um, absolutely. Yeah. It's, you know, the, one of the challenges we have Casey is that like what Don just talked about it, we, we, we think about it from a microbiology standpoint and we, th we, we can look in the, into the kitchen and, and see this uh, and sort of 
sit back and watch what's happening over time to really get a sense of whether the practices are are safe or not. What's really tough is working with a restaurant who has like, you know, look at the the situation that the, the culinary world's in right now. Almost no labor, can't get good people, yeah. are closing all the time, mm-hmm. dealing with the pandemic, um, are trying to get you know their, their patrons back um, you know over the last two years, and right. we're throwing like all of these food safety curveballs at them. It's a re- it's a really hard industry to be in for for all of those reasons. Um, I I've got a I have a friend who runs a fast food restaurant here um, just just outside of Raleigh, and he pays his staff. an hour. Um, So it's, you know, a a good wage. But the reason why he does that is for turnover and recruitment reasons. He's like, look, we we can't, I can't pay people minimum wage and expect that I'm going to have safe food or even quality food. Like I I have, I've got to change my own model or the model that that we exist in. But it's really, you know, it's, it's really tough right now. I mean, it's always been tough, but it's harder now than it was. Yeah, yeah, that makes, that makes perfect sense. All right, my final question for you, gentlemen, and I don't think this has been covered on Risky or Not, but maybe maybe it has. Uh, buffets, mm. and I leaving COVID aside, and I know that that you guys, particularly Dr. Don, at least from what I saw, was was very forward thinking on the don't wash your groceries thing. But you know, leaving COVID aside, like just pretend it's you know three years ago. Are buffets gross in and of themselves? I mean, I guess it's not fair to ask because it's all about the patrons and whatnot, but like assuming a reasonable sneeze guard and assuming you don't see people picking their nose and then grabbing, you know, food with their hands, like are buffets okay? Because I, I I don't often frequent buffets, but but there are definitely times in the before times that I would show up at one. And, you know, it's I think, again, it's also clientele because <laughs> there's a uh, golden corral not too terribly far from me. Oof, don't be uh-huh. creepy. And uh there's all walks of life at Gold Corral, to say the least, and uh, and I feel like I, we were talking about this way earlier. Uh, the last couple of times I had been to Golden Corral, I definitely did not feel well afterwards, and so I, at this Ooh. point, I feel like I'm I'm generating a bit of a line rather than just mm-hmm. a single data point. Right, right. But but all that being said, uh, in and of themselves, are you know let let's assume that it was just the three of us at at a buffet. Our buffets inherently dangerous leaving aside the patrons and then after that you know once you have the patrons are they just completely a no-fly zone i'm gonna jump in on this one i don't think yeah i don't think that they are inherently dangerous i think how you manage a buffet is Mm. gonna really change the risk profile of the food i think two two big things are going on and um one is temperature control and and the turnover of food on those in those steam tables the second is, are you providing anything to the patrons for hand washing or hand sanitizing? And that's the bigger one. I, I, I would assume that people are coming in with pathogens on their hands, but I want to see some sort of sanitizer there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, go ahead, Don. Yeah. So I'll, I'll say, yeah, I mean, and I'm probably just going to say the same thing that Ben said, right? Like, so with buffets, you are potentially you are putting food in a situation where it's going to be out uh, for an extended period of time. And so you want to make sure that you're keeping the cold foods cold and you're keeping the hot foods hot. And if the buffet is not doing that, 
then that's a problem, right? And so, you know, I would look for, and I remember one day, so we have, um, uh, we have Wegmans up here. I think that Wegmans yep, yep. are down as far as you, right, Casey? And At so, least as far as me, yeah. Yeah, we yeah. got Wegmans too. Yep. Okay, so uh, we were eating at a, what used to be our local Wegmans until we until we moved, and we were eating like there's an upstairs dining area, and we got food from the buffet, and of course it overlooks the buffet, and we're sitting there eating, and you see a Wegmans employee come out with a with a thermocouple and with a clipboard, and they're taking temperatures. I'm like, that's what you need to be doing, right? So so some mm -hmm. active temperature management is good, um, and then. The other issue, and Ben talked about hand sanitizers and stuff like that, you know, it, one of the problems that when you think about people and you think about disease, you know, I think about norovirus, right? Another another virus that's not SARS-CoV-2, but, but it's still really important that's been linked to cruise ships. And one of the, and of course, cruise ships have been working really hard to try to get a handle on norovirus, which hand washing is not all that effective and, and typical hand sanitizer that isn't that, that isn't specially formulated for norovirus is not particularly effective either either but one of the best practices that the buffet the cruise line started doing for the buffets is for the first few days of the cruise the customers were not allowed to serve themselves from the buffet they had mm. uh, cruise line employees and so what that did was it said okay yes if you have norovirus, don't come on our cruise. But guess what? If you have come on our cruise anyway, we're not going to let you cross-contaminate other people at the buffet because then we get a norovirus outbreak on this boat and then it's <laughs> right, just right. Oh, no, you know, it's bad, right? Uh, so what we'll do is for the first few days, while we're waiting to see whether people develop symptoms, we're going to put people in place who are our employees, who we know, we, we, hopefully they're not also sick, right? And that they also know what to do. And they're going to serve you for the first few days. And then once we're kind of out of port and we're, we're pretty sure that we don't have any, any norovirus brewing, um, we're going to let you start serving yourself, right? And so, which to me was not something I ever would have thought of, but it's kind sure. of a clever solution to the problem. Take the, again, take the people out of the equation until we're, we're, we're sure that we're safe. But yeah, so, so, I mean, I certainly, I have eaten at buffets. I will probably continue to eat at buffets, but, but those are the things that I, that I think about. And, and I sense. mean, it's, I think it just comes down to management, right? Like there's nothing, inherent about a bit buffet setup. It's just, it, it adds a different level of complexity that the, that the restaurant or the cruise ship or the hotel needs to manage. And if they're good at managing food safety in the back of the house, I would hope that they're also good at managing food safety in the front of the house um, and, and, you know, and, and vice versa, but it's, it's not, it's not the buffet, it's the people. Right. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, I totally hear you. And and it, I don't know what to do about that, right? Like, how do you know if you're going to be at a, a buffet at a reasonable time when reasonable people are there? Right. And, and yeah. certainly, you know, going at, at, a, at a very, well, I, actually, I guess I should ask, do I want to go at a very busy time, like, you know, 5 30 6 o'clock for dinner or do i want to go at four o'clock because on the one side i feel like at four o'clock there's less gross people but at four o'clock the, the food has been sitting out longer whereas uh, at five o'clock yeah. there's more gross people but the food is at least turning over quicker that's what we call a risk risk trade-off case <laughs> yeah well, and so here's how i would handle that i'd go at 5 30 you know six o'clock i yeah. go when it's busiest and I would bring my own hand sanitizer because the risk to me is, can I mitigate it? Like if it's going to go from the serving spoon to my hands, I can mitigate that myself. I don't have to worry about someone else 
you know, doing it. So I have my little, you know, Purell bottle and hand sanitizer and use it and uh, wash my hands before I, before I eat and not use bare hands on the food that I am, that I'm eating. Um, you know, if it's golden corral, I'm probably getting some of their somewhat fantastic fried chicken. Um, and, uh, <laughs> Yeah. And so, so, um, I, you know, it's a type of food that I'm likely to use my hand. So I'm going to try and mitigate that myself in that risk risk trade-off. I got you. No, that's so, fascinating. I, I've learned a lot. Well, and Casey, nice. I'm, yeah. Thanks. Thanks for joining us. And I've got, so I have one, one question for you. Of course. Um, so in your, in your home, one of the things that Don and I, um, that we talk about quite a bit and we, we do it both on the podcast, but also in our in our research is around like consumer um, handling practices in the home. Mm -hmm. And so I've got a couple of like quick hitter questions for you on this. Okay. So one is, do you, when you um, purchase poultry and you prepare like a whole chicken or chicken thighs or your whole turkey, do you wash your your chicken or turkey before you prepare it. So I am now going to make it plain that the division of labor in the list household is very, very much from the 1950s in this capacity. Uh, I am not one to often prepare chicken. Uh, I, and Erin is not here for, at the moment for me to ask her what she typically does. Um, I, I don't think she like full on washes it with soap or anything like that. I'm not sure if that's yeah, exactly yeah. what you mean. It wouldn't surprise me if she rinsed it, but I don't think she does even that. I am not confident I am correct, but I don't think that she does. What is the correct answer to this question? <laughs> <laughs> well, so the, the the correct safe, safety answer is is to not rinse it or wash it. And yeah, you're you're exactly right when you say rinse. That's kind of the the practice. We we did some research um, a couple of years ago where we brought just normal consumers into kitchens that we that we built and and asked them to prepare mm -hmm. poultry and watched what they did um, to see whether they they wash it. And it has a it has a chance to contaminate the sink quite a bit. And we do a lot more food ah, preparation in sinks. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So so it's the the risk the 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 risk reduction is, is, is zero. The risk increase is, is there. There's a mm -hmm, chance mm -hmm. that, that you can spread the, the pathogens around. But I, I asked the question because I always wonder how much we're just in our own brains about this and whether it's something that anybody even thinks about um, or has any sort of passionate response of, of course I would rinse my chicken or no, I would never, never do, do that. Uh, so no, that's, that's, that's helpful. The other question that I would, that I want, want to know is, do you have any sense at the temperature of your refrigerator? Like, would you know whether it's at 38 or 45 or, 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 you know, do you, or is it just cold? Yes. Asterisk. Um, I know what the exact temperature is set for as per the display on the front of the refrigerator. Oh, yeah. That does not necessarily mean that the refrigerator is exactly, I think we have it at 37 degrees off the top of my head. I don't know that mm -hmm. I'm right about that, but, but that is what the fridge thinks it is by mm -hmm. no means does that mean that the fridge is 37 degrees, but I believe we have the fridge set for like 37 and I think and that's Fahrenheit of course. And I think we have the freezer at like, five-ish or something like that. I think, I, I feel like that's right. Yeah. Again, I would have to run downstairs and verify, but I think no, that both of those, those are correct. 
Yeah, those are and if those are correct, those are, are pretty good numbers. So I I didn't think I had a question, but actually temperature makes me think of this. Do you, do you own a tip sensitive digital thermometer? No, I don't think we do. Which we probably should, but no, I don't think we do. Okay. Well, yeah, they're, we they're, they're great. They're a great great tool uh, for if nothing else, just checking the temperature of your food when you're microwaving it to see if it's hot enough to eat. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you, so real time follow up, uh, yeah. Aaron. I sent Aaron a text and asked random. <laughs> <laughs> wash chicken in the sink before you prep it the, the the response was verbatim ew no that is a terrible thing that some people do and it just gets germs everywhere why oh excellent point over Aaron. yeah oh, yeah uh, i should note that uh uh she was uh, educated as a biologist and so that's probably oh, okay. why oh. she knows what she's doing um uh, but yeah, so she apparently passes the test in that capacity. Yes, I will well also done. say, and she, she, this is actually a point of marital contention between the two of us. Uh, uh -oh. She is, um, she has strong opinions about telling me which cut cutlery and cutting board have been used for raw meat oh. and is insistent on, oh, she... on, in, on telling me this had raw chicken on it. And I'm not really sure why she does this because it's not like I'm going to clean it four times. Maybe I should be, maybe she's right all along, but I clean them the same pretty much every time I take the sponge, I put some soap on the sponge and I scrub, 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 scrub. And then I put it in a drying rack. But every time, even though she knows it doesn't really change my behavior at all because the division of labor in the list household based on the fifties mm -hmm. is that I clean up the dishes. Um, mm -hmm. And so uh, she insists on telling me what cutlery and cutting board was used for the raw chicken. And, and maybe she was right <laughs> all along. Is that, is, am I the, am I the jerky? Am I AITA? Is that what, <laughs> is that what's going on? No, I, I, well, first of all, let me say she's a keeper, like hold on to this one, Casey, because <laughs> well, I knew that already. Kitchen, okay. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, I would say maybe she's just doing it so that you can, so that you can manage your risk. Like, like in, t don't take a break in the middle of this one and, and like lick your fingers or something, <laughs> I guess. Right. Um, but yeah. And I, I would say what we, often will do is uh is is to wash the, if, it, if it has raw meat we'll we'll certainly wash it uh we'll probably use sanitizer and or put it in the dishwasher on uh, like a sterilizer cycle but but yeah i mean i think mm -hmm. washing with soap and water is is certainly a necessary step um and then if you want the additional assurance you could you could spray it down with like a a, a sanitizer you know chlorine or, or other sanitizer and then let it dry in the dish rack and see, now this comes back to Windex. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, don't use Windex. Yeah. Don't use Windex. Good. But, All right. But, so, so it turns out her background in biology has really uh, saved me from many, many food, foodborne illnesses is what I'm hearing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I absolutely. And, and I, I think that that uh, response uh, certainly highlights her, her knowledge of the world of food safety, which is, which is always great. I knew that, uh, you know, you, you mentioned, you knew you had made it um, with Carrie Butter. Um, I knew that I had made it as a food safety person when my, at this time, seven-year-old kid um, used a food thermometer on a chicken nugget. And <laughs> <laughs> with unprompted, like, that's, like just- That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And, and now he's he's 13 and he's he now makes his own chicken nuggets all the time and, and is constantly using our, our food thermometer with, without like, it's, it's not even, uh, he's not even doing it snarkily. He's like actually doing it. He's like, what yeah, temperature yeah, yeah. again? Does this need to be yet? And I was like, fine, I'm, I have finally died. I can't get him to eat a vegetable, but he'll use a thermometer on his, <laughs> on his chicken nuggets. So. Nice, nice. Oh.
Well, Casey, this has been amazing. Thanks so much for no, joining thank us. Thank you. Thanks for playing along in uh, Secret Guest uh, Twenty Questions, which I, um, I, I feel like I, I, I won because I, I got to the right answer, even though it was yeah, probably like forty. So, yeah. Um, no, and this is this is awesome. It's always great to have a, a friend on, and and especially someone who is, is thoughtful around food safety, but it doesn't do this on a daily basis. Like it's it's so yeah, sure, sure. it's refreshing for for us. So so thanks again for for joining Absolutely. us. Absolutely. Well, I, I appreciate it deeply. Uh, other than now, I know where to look for uh, restaurant uh, health code reviews, and now <laughs> I feel like I, I've seen the arrow in the FedEx logo, and everything has been ruined. So other than ruining <laughs> restaurants for me forever, uh, I very much appreciate you, gentlemen, well, having me on. I want to I want to close with the with the uh, advice from uh, our our dear friend and departed colleague Dean Cliver who says the risks of not eating still outweigh the risks of eating. So, <laughs> so keep keep on eating, Casey. Yeah, not not a problem. Uh, <laughs> I'll be going to Taco Bell later today because apparently that's the only safe one I got anymore. <laughs> awesome. Thank All you right. so much, Jeff. Thanks, Casey. All right. Bye bye. Take care. <laughs>